0: From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So today we're talking once again about the Democratic tax proposal that cleared the House Ways and Means Committee last week. But today we're focusing on the international side of things. The proposal, spearheaded by committee chairman, Richard Neal, would increase the minimum tax on U.S. companies' foreign income and get tougher in other ways on U.S. companies that do business overseas. But as we discussed last week, the House plan is also more modest than the proposal offered by President Joe Biden and Democrats on the Senate Finance Committee. To break this down, we hear today from Craig Hillier, the America's International Tax and Transaction Services Leader for EY. Hillier spoke with Bloomberg Taxes Michael Rappaport about the proposal, and he started off by talking about its impacts on global intangible low tax income, also known as guilty,
1: guilty, which is the tax on offshore earnings of um, U.S. multinationals. Uh, came into came into being with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed by President Trump, and. It um, has. We've had a number of proposals to change it, both from uh, President Biden in his Green Book, uh, as well as um, Senate Finance Chair Wyden, and now we've got the House Ways and Means Committee proposal, which is the latest stab at looking at guilty. And the Neil Plan proposes an effective global minimum tax rate, so the the rate at which. Um, income would be, this guilty income would be subject to U.S. tax of 16.56%, which is lower than what uh, President Biden proposed. He proposed a guilty rate of 21%. Um, The Wyden proposal didn't actually include a rate. Uh, I think the standout features, in addition to what the rate is imposed on this foreign income, is this so-called country-by-country computation. So um, under existing law, uh, the guilty provisions allow companies to look at the foreign income uh, in totality, and you then have a guilty inclusion and you can take foreign tax credits against that. This proposal is to impose this rule on a country by country basis. So, for example, if I was earning income in Singapore at a low rate, let's say it's 5%, I would have a so called guilty basket for that particular jurisdiction and i have a low uh effective tax rate on that i can use those taxes to offset the 16.5 percent guilty tax Um, but then i would have tax to pay and if i also had let's say operations in germany which were taxed at a much higher rate again the guilty basket applies on that particular country I would have so-called excess credits because the German tax is much higher than 16.5%. I can certainly um, fully use the German credits and I have surplus credits, but I can't use them against any other country. And so that has been one of the um, key features of the proposal, both from um, uh, President Biden, Senator Wyden, and now um, Chairman Neal. That they're ending this so-called blending of foreign tax credits with this country-by-country approach. Yeah, as you noted, the the um, uh, the House Ways
2: and Means Committee uh, plan, the the Richard Deal plan, does seem more moderate in, uh, in in some respects, not as far-reaching as either the Biden plan or the Wyden plan, and, and the uh, the sixteen point five six rate is relatively close to the 15% global minimum rate that's in the pending global tax agreement that 134 countries have uh, have agreed to. Is, is, that, is that intentional in your view? Is, is that something that House Democrats designed to fit into and
1: harmonize with the, uh, the contemplated global agreement? You know, I, I, I'm not in the room, but my, my view is there were two things going on. One, I think they wanted to hit off They wanted to get support for these proposals across the Democratic caucus and, again, more broadly in Congress. And I think some of the comments and and concerns that have been raised by a number of um, congressmen and senators is, hey, let's not get ahead of the OECD. Let's not have rules that put us at a disadvantage to whatever the OECD comes up with. And I think that was, you know, that was a a fairly compelling argument, really, uh, that we do want to be competitive. And knowing that the uh, OECD seems to be settling on a 15% rate, now that is still not set in stone. There are countries such as France, Germany, and even the US that have said, hey, we think it should be higher. And uh, two Treasury officials um, actually put out a paper a couple of weeks ago arguing that 21% was still a goal that we should be looking for. But I think Chairman Neal was looking at what uh, they could get the votes for They were aware of these concerns about getting out ahead of the OECD. And so I think it uh, is a rate that um, uh, is closer to the OECD and also splits the difference between some people have been saying 25% should be the overall corporate rate. Uh, President Biden proposed 28%. 26.5% is right in the middle. And remember, the guilty rate keys off whatever the... um, the uh, uh, federal corporate rate is so it ends up at sixteen point five six percent. One of the other things
2: that's, uh, that that seems um, uh, noteworthy about the um, the House Democrats' uh, proposal is that in a number of respects it just it re- all really does is just kind of accelerate things that re- were set to happen anyway under the uh, the twenty seventeen tax reform. I mean, you have. Uh, uh, beat the, the anti-profit shifting provision, it just kind of moves forward a, uh, a, a, a rate increase from the current 10% to 12.5% that was going to happen anyway, and then further increases it to 15%. And on FITI, the, uh, the tax break for uh, income on US, uh, US-held internet intellectual property, uh, it, it, it just kind of keep, uh, keeps it in its current form, but again, just kind of accelerates uh, a rate increase that was going to happen a couple
1: couple years down the line anyway. Yes, just moving them up, but keeping the provisions. I, I do think a lot of people were a little bit surprised that FDII stayed, given that there'd been some quite definitive statements against it, both um, certainly from from um, from President Biden. Um, you know, Senator Wyden was um, a little more circumspect and talked about um, uh, keeping some sort of incentive for uh, innovation income. The international provisions are part of a broader package uh, that,
2: that, that uh, is going to have to be acceptable to just about every Democrat in Congress to pass. They, have, they can't lose any, any votes in the Senate. They can only lose, lose a few in the House. Do you think that this has broad enough appeal, I mean, both the international provisions and the broader package, do you think it has broad enough uh, appeal that, that, that it can kind of thread that needle and get through without, without, uh, without losing more votes than they can afford?
1: Well, it's certainly the administration's hope. Um, I, I, I couldn't actually begin to, to read the runes on this. Um, uh, I think there's still the concern that um, at least one, possibly two, possibly three, possibly four senators have said $3.5 trillion is too much in spending. It would be unlike Congress to um, have a smaller spending bill, let's say it's $1.5 trillion and still keep the current revenue raises that are in the NEAL proposal. So I do think um, from what I know now, and I'm not a fortune teller, that the package may be smaller, which means that some of the revenue raising proposals may go, uh, whether they're on the, in, the international provisions, whether they're on the individual provisions, I think is yet to be seen. We know that they want to deal with the state and local cap, the so-called SALT um, cap, and that's expensive. So if they are going to do something on the SALT side, which is in effect spending, they're still going to need to have some of these material revenue-raising proposals. I do think on the international side, if we do get a bill, and I don't know if we will get a a bill that's actually enacted into law at this, this state, it's still a little uncertain, but if we do get something enacted, I'm expecting the international provisions on guilty. I think will be closer to the Neal proposals than to anything else. Um, From what I have heard, there was quite a bit of coordination between the White House uh, through its Treasury Department and Chairman Neal, and that there was regular communication with Senator Wyden on these proposals as well. So I think there was a deliberate attempt to craft a set of proposals that have, would have the widest support in the Democratic Congress. So I think they've done a pretty good job of that. Whether it's good enough um, and they have the votes in the Senate is still to be seen. And of course, you have um,
2: lobbyists from the corporate side uh, very much opposed to a lot of this and fighting a lot of this.
1: I'm sure that there is a significant lobby who would be quite happy if nothing got passed. Um, but I do know that President Biden has staked, you know, quite a little of political capital on this proposal. And I know that he and Senator Schumer and um, Nancy Pelosi will fight as hard as they can to get these proposals in some form through. As I said, my expectation is it may be a bit smaller than what we see what we see today.
0: That was EY's Craig Hillier speaking with LiberTaxes Michael Rappaport. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you want to get in touch with us, reach out to us on Twitter. We're at, at @tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Special assistance today came from Adam Allington. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening.
1: The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.